Welcome back, everybody, to The Greatest Game, a limited-run podcast from the video game and culture website OKBeast.com, which seeks to understand aesthetic theory through the lens of video games. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Williams, sitting across from Max Kelleher yet again. Oh, yeah. Still on this wild ride. (laughs) Let me just ask you real quick, what do you kind of hope to get out of these conversations? What value does this have? Because I, I will be perfectly frank, I could be studying how best to end world poverty, but I'm sure. studying what might be considered the most arbitrary conversation ever <laughs> made. I think if we can understand art better, we understand so many different things, right? If we, we play video games, if we have a vocabulary through which we can describe the art, I think the art becomes better for future generations. We look at paintings. If we can't articulate our thoughts about the painting, the painting becomes less meaningful because humans are just inherently social creatures. I think if we have the ability to communicate our thoughts and our ideas about art, which we're just surrounded with in almost every way, I would say, uh, I think life just becomes better in the way that we can communicate something that we care so much about. We care about art. Yeah. We care about being social. If we can bridge that gap in any way, I think it's a meaningful exercise. Sure. Yeah, I'd be interested, too, to even hear from our audience like why they're yeah. interested in this conversation. But um, before we kind of get into what the outline of subjects are going to be for this episode, uh, Max, you kind of wanted to go over a little bit of summary slash what you've been thinking since the last one. Yeah, we, we turned the mics off and had another conversation, and I I think I might pull a 180 on you here. Dude. So, <laughs> so we had the idea of like Guernica, and I think a lot of the benefits and the um, excellence of Guernica comes from the message of the artist of Picasso in the sort of anti-war thought, of, you know, anti-Spanish um, Civil War. We also talked about extra contextual information and in artworks. And my point was um, that that should be uh, beside the point, that we should look at the art objectively and we should see uh, the value of the art in, in sort of how we view whatever pigment is on the canvas in front of us and, and extra contextual information is sort of beside the point. But now I think that they're kind of the same thing in that the if you just look at Guernica and don't understand that it's anti war you don't understand that this is Pablo Picasso painting it in the context of the Spanish Civil War that you don't really get the message of it so I think you need the extra contextual information in order to get the message out of the painting which is where the primary value of the painting comes from in the first place Mm -hmm. so I think you either have to pick you know that extra contextual information doesn't matter or you have to pick that the painting by itself should be viewed objectively but you can't say they're both true because you need the extra contextual information in order to get the message out of the painting, which is what I said value came from. So yeah, I, I, I'm still sort of uh, swirling it in my head as I'm sure it's coming across clearly in the microphone. Sure. But that's kind of where my head's at right now. Yeah. I, I sometimes like to think about it in terms of there being like a balance between the actual material of the work and the conceptual material of the work. And if one particular work is weighted heavily in the actual material, like the paint and the pigment and the composition, um, and you don't need a lot of conceptual information, then to put it at to put the work at balance, you just need like this sliver of conceptual knowledge. Yeah. But there's others that rely way more heavily on the conceptual, and the work isn't complete without it. Um, and once you have sort of the complete system, now you're playing the game, right? Now you kind of understand. And we were talking about during the break uh, between these two episodes, a particular symphony, which I forget the name, but I'm sure if you Google Google it, there is a symphony, um, I believe it's just named, the name of the symphony is just how many measures it, it's the song is supposed to last. And it's on YouTube. And basically the guy 
as a conductor and he sits in front of a full orchestra. He walks up to the stand and he taps his wand. There's silence for like four and a half minutes. And then that's the song. Yeah. And there's a part of it that like, well, that's a fucking gimmick, <laughs> you know, like cool dude. But before he like at this point, if anybody else does that now, it's just a copy of what he did. It's, it's not, it's not anything new, but at the time that he made it, yes, the idea that no musical form in this song existed, it is purely conceptual that silence can be thought of as music and probably the arguments that happened in social circles around that symphony, that cascade of, um, conversation about whether that was art or that wasn't art. That's the whole point. Right. Right. And that wouldn't have happened without him doing that. And the fact that he did do that, I think you, you kind of have to give it to him that that song was artwork. And, and it only becomes artwork in the contextual information. Yes. Right. If you look at four minutes of science, we could sit for four minutes and not say anything and no one would be like, Oh my God, groundbreaking. Right. You need the extra contextual information of this person saying, I'm going to try to question what art is. I'm going to try to question what music is. And you have a story behind Four Minutes of Silence that all of a sudden becomes something worth talking about as is happening right now on this podcast. Yeah. And you um, kind of consistently bring up the message of the work and how maybe even the conceptual material is aiding in that message. Yeah. Um, but I do honestly want to get to a more arbitrary, super subjective side to what Adorno puts forward as artwork uh, in his book because, and it's something that, and I have to, you know, be super honest with the audience here. Like I don't understand this book nearly as well as I probably could have. I, or that I probably can. I really think I'm going to have to read this thing probably like two more times to really get it. So a lot of this exercise is thinking out loud between the two of us, like you're saying. So hopefully that in and of itself is entertaining and interesting. You can hear from the quotes just how dense this book is. It was the hardest book I've ever read. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, it took me over a year to finish it. So, Jeez, man. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, it is the reason why we're talking now. So that's yeah. pretty cool. So what I want to go through in this episode is going to kind of hinge around the idea of expression or an artwork's quote unquote spirit, as Adorno calls it. Something that we touched on at the very end of the last one. And to get there, we're going to have to lay some groundwork. And... How it's going to go is we're going to kind of talk about the concept of beauty, which is kind of ironic because I think um, when Immanuel Kant was, he was the one who introduced the concept of aesthetic experience. And because he was the first one to do so, he kind of monopolized the conversation around art needing to be beautiful. But we actually haven't talked about beauty at all, which is kind of interesting. So we're going to get into beauty um, in nature which is going to transfer into beauty and art, which is going to transfer into its expression uh, and its spirit. And then I want to get into some of the kind of illogical side of artwork. Because like I said before in our previous episode, I think art is where we can go to explore irrationality. And the more we try to rationalize art, the more we're gripping at sand that we can never have. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of where my mind has been after reading this book. So anyway, that's that's the quick uh, overview of what's to come. So Let's go ahead and get started. We talked about for kind of a brief period in the last episode that artworks needed to be something new, um, like never experienced before. And when you think about newness or how Adorno puts it forward is that, and this also gets kind of towards art being defined by its contradiction, 
it is almost like the setting up of material, both conceptual and real, in such a way that nature is presented to us. It is something that is untouched by the viewer or, or yourself, right? And it is only through viewing it that it becomes known and understood. And that connects into nature because he talks about viewing like a mountainside or a placid lake or an idyllic snowy valley. You can think of any sort of what you would call beautiful landscape. And he says it's usually the experience that the landscape is expressing something outside of its just beingness that gives us the sense of beauty. Like when we look at a particular mountain range, we might be filled with an idea like of um, freedom or maybe something that can't be conquered or could be conquered. The moment that a landscape, which is just existing for its for no reason other than the fact that it's matter, the moment that we look at it and we kind of get something linguistic out of it, that is what he kind of considers natural beauty. Does that make any sense? Uh, what you're saying makes sense. I would, I mean, pretty easily think called BS on that just because it, a rock doesn't have thoughts to express and therefore what is it expressing? I would say nothing. The idea is we have evolved as a species on planet Earth and the species that enjoyed what they were looking at were happier and reproduced more. So we just have the genes of creatures that enjoyed nature more than the genes of creatures that didn't enjoy nature. So we are just looking at rocks and trees and being inspired with a sense of awe is just an evolutionary trait that we enjoy the planet that we evolved, you know, 30,000 yeah, years it, as a species and three point whatever billion years as right. animals. That's what I would kind of point yeah, to, more not, biological. And, and not to get completely esoteric, but that's kind of where the deeper side of aesthetics goes. And when you look at animals that don't have um, like actual spoken language and things, they can look at things like a, a tree in a desert and identify that that means that expresses that water is over there. Sure. And, and that will lead them to then go to do it. So the idea is something similar here where you're kind of presented with natural stimuli. And because of this kind of like, the, because of the reaction your brain essentially has to it, you're, you're filled with a, uh, a sense of something else. That's what we kind of mean by expression. Yeah, again, I would just say that's entirely on the subject. Yes. And 0% on any sort of artist. If there is a creator, it isn't something that a human being would then... It, it is not comparable to a human being in a canvas, right? A, a, right? Some sort of creator god would not even be in the same conversation. Yeah, but... So I'd say, I, mean, I agree. I, I think a seed in certain situations... Uh, in certain soils with water makes a tree is the same thing as like three times five is 15, right? It's just, if you have a certain set of circumstances, you get an answer, you get some sort of output. And how this needs to kind of be tied into our conversation before people are like, what are they fucking <laughs> talking about is if art is to be something new and to be, to basically be like a series of choices that came together in such a way that had never been seen before, you're kind of channeling for Adorno, he's saying like you're channeling nature there. When you when you experience something new for the first time, it is raw. It is it is a it is raw material that is then made complete by the um, the objectification of the person viewing it. And where expression begins to come in, where he says 
what what he calls art beauty. So if natural beauty is like a landscape expressing something, art beauty is a combination of materials, conceptual materials, and decisions by the artist coming together in a way that is expressing something that is bigger or more than just its parts. Does does that make sense? I think all of that tracks with me. I just I'm hanging up, getting hung up on the word nature. Do they mean internal nature, like my biology and the way that I understand things I haven't seen before? Because that would make sense. We were talking about nature as in rocks, landscapes, that they have some sort of expression outside of my subjective understanding no, of it. No, it's not that they're like actually talking. Like mysticism kind of thing. It's more of like they're... It's tough to say because there are natural signs that exist in nature. Like if you see smoke over the horizon you're going to think that there's fire sure. there and, and that in a way is the landscape communicating with you. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Um, so in this, but in this particular instance, we're, we're, we mean nature in art as in the un, the untouched, like the unformed. It is, even though it was created by somebody, and I know this is, gets to be kind of like contradictory, but again, this was kind of at the point of art being like kind of a contradictory expression. It is, it is this un touched um piece of 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 form that has been set into motion by the artist essentially and so in, in that way it is it is almost like nature i think the deal like the, what i'm thinking of is like the, the term raw yes there's a rawness to the artist has made something and it is raw and now it's your turn to like make something of this rawness that you are now observing that is exactly it okay and so that's tracking the making of the something is where aesthetic experience lies that is what he calls and this is a super nerdy term but mimesis and mimesis is the process of basically like making things real um so point a taking the raw to point b to understanding it that in between zone is the aesthetics of a work it is the understanding of what it is essentially now, where expression comes in, where to hook back into our conversation about like what, like when do we know we have an artwork versus art? He says essentially that artworks have a spirit. They have something to express that is a, it is more than a sum of their parts. It is like by the, inf by the way that the work unfolds, by the way that it travels from point A to point B in that mimesis, right? That what he calls the objectification of the work. By the way that it unfolds, it is going to express a particular something, whether it's an idea or a negation of something that came before, even if it's a single word, that is kind of the feeling that it's going to leave with you is, is its expression, that is its spirit. Um, does that make sense? Because like I said, I, these, are, these are things that I found when I was reading to be very important um, but I also don't entirely have all the understanding there yet, you know, and I'm kind of just yeah. want to hear what you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Rene Magritte, right? I love Church of Images. I love Son of Man, which are the guy, the bowler hat with the apple right in front of his face. And it's like the most like awkwardly placed apple. Cause you want to see the guy's face. The, the entire painting is of a person and you can't see their face. There's an apple right in front of it. I love that. For whatever reason, that idea gives me an emotional feeling. So when I hear you talking, I just think of Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm -hmm. He's at the Chicago Museum. He's just staring at that stippled um, painting, right, of the, of the small girl inside of the Chicago Park. And there's a spirit there, right? There's something being communicated to Cameron in that moment. And I think a lot of people 
would all, including me, would be very impressed with the idea of this entire painting is stippled with dots, right? right? That's very impressive. I think there's not the message, which is sort of my subjective bias, um, but it's a very impressive artwork. So I agree. I think that there's the ability of the artwork just sitting there, and that's great, but the actual process of art is me looking at it and taking everything there is to take away from it until I'm bored with it. Yes. And it is like inherently temporal. Even when we talk about it's not music that's temporal. The dance isn't temporal. Sculpture is temporal Mm -hmm. in the way that I can look at something until I'm bored with it. And that is the process of art. Right. And And that's fascinating to me. Yeah. The the idea that everything, even you, you painted something and it's on the wall, that is a temporal thing because the only value of it is the experience between me having not seen it and me being tired of seeing it. Right, and how long you can possibly sustain your interaction with it. You so that's know? fascinating. So what do, what do you think about me like buying a print of a painting? Right, I have a favorite painting. I go online and I buy a print of it and frame it and put it in my house. Yeah. Is that is that something to be mocked? So, is that like against the idea of art because it's, it's impossible to be permanent and I'm trying to make permanent the temporal experience? I mean, the thing is, is art can only be discovered once. And if you've never seen that particular painting before, even though it's technically a reproduction of something that was once originally created, right. you're discovering it for the first time and no one can take that away from you. Maybe someone can say, oh, you would have had a slightly different aesthetic experience being in front of it actually. Sure. And they might be right there, but they can't take away your first true experience with it in the same way that basically like every scale and possible chord structure is kind of known on the piano, but a 10 year old boy starting piano lessons can literally discover the entire beauty that the piano has to offer for the first time. And that is him discovering the art inside of his keys. Right. And maybe to a, a pianist who is a virtuoso and a master composer what the child is playing is is not art because it's he's heard it a thousand times before that child's hearing it for the first time right you know well it makes me think like me buying the print and hanging up in my house is the equivalent of a pianist like holding every single key of a song and trying to hold it as long as possible to make the song last forever right Mm -hmm. there's like a silliness to that idea but people hang up art in their house all the time so i'm curious what what your thoughts are on the idea of making sort of permanent installations of art that you see every single day. I mean, dude, I'm, I'm honestly sick of looking at portraits from the Renaissance. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired of look like when I, when it's like, okay, and here's our classics wings of the, of our museum and it's nothing but still lifes. Who gives a shit? I'm done with that. There's nothing interesting about that to me anymore. Maybe it could be interesting again if it was like, oh, well at this point in time, uh, these sociological happenings were, um, surrounding the the creation of these paintings, and um, they weren't allowed to paint fucking peaches. But here's a peach, right? Yeah, that gives me like it. a tiny new kind of element to think about, but that's still not going to be much. And I think to hook this back into video games is like when we play through the latest greatest experience, is this thing just a sum of its parts? You know, like. Is, is this game, and I'll, I'll use the latest God of War example. To me, it was a combination of conceptual material um, that hadn't been combined before. But all of the conceptual material individually inside of it is very well known. And because of that, to me, it didn't express anything. Another game example is Octopath Traveler. It's a Japanese role-playing game. I loved it. I played it for like 60-something hours. I reviewed it. And as a video game, as a gameplay experience, I think it's golden, nine out of 10. 
but there is no expression in that work. Yeah. It doesn't give me any, like, I don't walk away saying like, wow, the experience of playing Octopath Traveler um, expresses to me a longing to be home. But if you play a game like Journey, you can literally come away. Yeah. There's not, there's no words in that game. And you can say, this game expressed companionship. Yeah. And the unfolding of that work is what created that expression. And the, you didn't find companionship in the controls or in the fact that you're in a desert or anything. It was, it was all of the work as a whole combined in my experience with it that expressed that thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then is it worth like buying video games? Does that make sense then? If we play a video game and we, we finish with it and it goes on the shelf, does the business model of like streaming video games now make more sense because of this idea of inherent temporalness of video games and art in general? Well, one, video games are unique in their example of like you're, you're not getting the full experience when you, when you watch someone play it. You may be entertained. Sure, you agree. may be learning about it. But when you take away that physical aspect and you take away the fact that you are that someone when you add the fact that someone else is playing it you are and you are essentially only getting half of the experience i mean is that fair it's well, totally fair dude. do i get if i look at someone doing a, a specific dance mm-hmm. am i not getting the head experience? Do I have to do the dance do i need to study ballet for 25 years in order to get the does, fullness does, out of nutcracker does that dance mean something to the person performing it versus the audience member who's watching it probably there you go there's, so it's something different. The, the dancer is getting something different than the audience member. Right. So I'm not getting everything out of the dance just by watching. Correct. You are essentially seeing them contort their bodies and you can predict what, or at least you know that it's impressive that their body is holding the tension that it is holding in the ways that it's unfolding. And that's why it's impressive. It's not just impressive because of how it looks. A part of the impressiveness of the dance is the fact that you know that they're doing it. How far are you willing to push this? What if uh, of a video game that video games are extremely linked to dance? I totally agree. Yes. Do I because they're physical performances? Do I get everything out of Halo Two if I didn't if I wasn't on Bungie's dev team when I developed it? Is there is there the same idea of the dancer getting more out of the dance? The choreographer do they have something more out of the dance than the audience member? The video game devs have different experiences than the player than someone who watches the pros play the game. I mean, this gets back to one of our first episodes talking about the different types of play, where there was composer play, audience play, yeah. critical play, Absolutely. metacritical play. And I think at each stage, the experience is different. Yeah. Um, what you decide to be packaged and shipped, I think, is a different kind of question. And I don't, I don't know, like... In the same way that some people say that the truest expression of a symphony is just the written pages, and that wow. the moment you um, perform it, you're you're actually taking away a little bit of what's there. I think it's totally fair. Like I I get a lot out of watching professional Overwatch. Love the game, Lucio Main, all about it. <laughs> yeah, rep. Love it. I can't do what the pros do, so I think I get a lot out of watching professional Overwatch versus playing the game. I I get different things out of it. So then to maybe it's not derogatory, but would you speak down on someone who has that opinion that I get a lot out of watching professionals play uh, a a certain piece of temporal art, such as like a competitive video game versus playing it myself? Well, I mean, that, that is my view. Like I watch, I've probably watched more hours of people play civilization six than I have played it. Yeah. But the experience of watching it and playing it are inherently different. Would you say one's better than the other? I mean, I don't know. That's better, like, in under what standard of value, you know? In terms of, like, 
useful. I, I don't know. I don't even know how to approach that. Yeah. Like, I don't think yeah. I can say that. Yeah. yeah. But th- I think there's still is degrees of separation there. Sure. Right. Um, and there's also a lot of the, there's also the fact that there's what exists called mirror neurons. And the, and the fact that when you're watching somebody play, your body is kind of embodying um, the movements that would be happening. Totally. And there is kind of an experience of playing it through that, but that's still not the same, you know? And th- that is all to say that a, a big barrier to uh, video games in academics is the fact that you have to play them to, to truly know their experience. I think I firmly believe that. Like, or at least you need to have intimate conversations with players. Because I don't want to say that you can't be critical about theater um, if you are not an actor. But if you're going to be, if you're going to produce a text that is the end all be all on theater, you better talk to some thespians. You know what I mean? And you can also just argue video games are just inherently different. They're not worth oh. being uh, compared to theater or dance. Sure. They're similar. But the art itself does not happen until there's a player there to play the game. You don't even need an audience, right? A dancer can dance in an empty theater and the dance still happened because someone was there to experience the dance. Right. But the video game necessitates me sitting there with a controller to be a part of the art. It's just inherently different. Yes. So I, I think maybe even that's fair. I think you just, they compare in some ways and video games are an inherently unique medium. Yeah. No, I mean, totally. Yeah. I, I'm I'm down to accept that completely. I think it's fair. When we when we roll it back to kind of where where we got before we were talking about this, I was trying to hook in the idea of expression to with the ideas of um, differentiating art from artworks. And so when we were talking in the previous episode about art being new and the introduction of that newness fundamentally changing behavior or changing or introducing knowledge that was never had before. That is done through the expression of an artwork. And I guess that is all to say that artworks that don't express anything or art that doesn't express anything under Adorno's definition are not artworks. And I just, I guess I just want to hear your thoughts on that, you know? Do you have an example of art that does not express anything? Uh, Octopath Traveler. You know, it is, it is a combination of systems and mechanics that when are set in motion create a fun and enjoyable play space, but it's basically a distraction. You know, and it's a beautiful distraction. It's a fun, satisfying distraction. But when I put the game down, I didn't think like, huh, I should talk to my mother more. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> could somebody have gotten something from it? Is it, are we not talking about something inherently subjective? You didn't get anything from it. It didn't express anything to you. But someone else played that game and was like, oh my God, violence means XYZ thing. Yeah. Is that possible? Yes. And I think then we just have to say, does one particular aesthetic object hold with it the ability to express broadly, broadly enough to create sort of like a shift? I think yes in its vagueness, which to me is sort of like a negative on artwork, but only because of my bias and that the message is what, like that's, at some point I need to ask you this question. Maybe, Maybe we now's should do a good that time now because it. yeah, I, I I'm going to hit you with it and I, I, it's just a fundamental thing that I, I, I believe. Let's do it because I think expression didn't go it didn't peter out the way I thought it would. I think it's kind of a nice footnote to maybe think about like, is this video game that I'm playing expressing something by virtue of its form? Yeah. Is it more than a sum of its parts? Uh, that was something that was very fun to think about after reading this book is he introduces the concept of a monad, which is like equivalent to the idea of like an atom. Like if you, if you, if an artwork cannot be reduced to its parts, but needs to be understood as a whole, then that's when you know you're kind of in the presence of an artwork. Is, wow. Is, like, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. We're talking about like a shape on a canvas. Right. 
But some people view like that kind of abstract expressionalism as artwork, but it is a circle on a canvas with a square in the corner. Plus color and size and but, all but, of that. But we can abstract it into these things, right? So then you could say, fundamentally, can that not be an artwork? I mean... Or the meaning that you get from it is beyond the circle and the square, and therefore I the think meaning is beyond... Yes. Okay. I think that's kind of the idea. I'll buy that. And the idea is like... I think Red Dead Redemption 2, honestly, is the best example of this. Yeah. Um, and I've been waiting to kind of express this. Like, a lot of people, were, when Red Dead Redemption 2 came out, had criticisms about its various systems, uh, some of the design choices in it, um, how hunting was kind of slow and unrewarding and boring, how the movement was slow and cumbersome. And when I was reading all these things, I was like, you know what? Like, they're, they're right. Like, when I isolate each part of this work that they're isolating, I see their point. But to me, it was like they're pulling a string out of a sweater. And it's like, yeah, you can kind of like pull this string and make the sweater have a snag, but you're missing the point. Yeah. Because this thing as a whole is is so impressive. Like the, the moment you say, no, nah, Red Dead Redemption 2 isn't a good game because my horse died. It's like... <laughs> Yes, that's frustrating. I understand that, but like, video, like even artwork isn't there to be your friend. You right, know, like right. there's challenging artworks. Like artwork isn't easy. If artwork is easy, then it's not new because you need to huh. not understand it for it to even be for it to be on point A to get to point B. And that mimesis we were talking yeah, about, the objectification. Yeah. If it's if you already know what B is, then you've gone nowhere. You're already at B, and exactly. the process of art is so already I'm, dead. And I'm really, I'm waiting to hear what you have to say next because when you talk about receiving a message, to me, that's what like that's what that's my defense against it is that if you're just simply giving me the message, then you didn't need the art like the artwork for like you didn't give me anything new unless the artwork expressed something expressed. Um, a message in a way that only it could and that had never been expressed until that artwork expressed it. Or in a unique way that hadn't been expressed in that unique way before. That's what I would say. Yes. So if I were to say like, don't think about pink elephants, right? The inception route. That's not a very convincing method of getting an idea into someone's head. So that's what I would point out. Like art is a means to an end. Art is a method through which the artist can communicate a certain message as best they can. This is done through poetry, this is done through, like, I think, unique and worthwhile paintings, such as Guernica, such as Treachery of Images. This is uh, the method through which we can have, essentially, I would say philosophers, but instead of writing a philosophical text, they use art to express these ideas. Right. And artwork should be understood only through which, kind of the, the two things, what is the message, and how effective is the artwork at getting the message across? It has to be sufficiently specific that we know the message, but sufficiently vague that it isn't a painting of a message, a black paint on a white canvas saying war is bad, right? That, that's what I would point out. Good art is a means to an end, and the artist is trying to communicate something through that But art. what about the artist that doesn't want to communicate at all? Then it can't be an artwork. Why not? Like, Other I than uh, maybe Starry Night, maybe the stippled painting from Cameron Ferris Bueller's Day Off, maybe the message is look at what art can be. You've never seen this before. How cool is this? This is opening up a new method through which art can be done. I think that's maybe like a second tier. But I think if I'm viewing art and I can look at Guernica and say, holy crap, yeah, war is terrible. You've convinced me, Pablo Picasso, by like this painting. You've done it. 
he didn't say war is bad in black paint, right? It isn't that specific, but it isn't so vague that you could look at it and be like, oh, well, capitalism is better than communism. Like, that's clearly not the point here. I just think you're cutting yourself off from potentially experiencing something that is extremely profound despite the intent that was behind it. Yeah. Like, what if in a museum was a canvas that um, a third-rate hobbyist painter was painting, and while he was painting it, a bomb from a plane, because the country was at war, blew up and splattered even some of his own blood on it, and it just happened to lay on the painting in such a way that like worked perfectly in the composition, and the fact that that was the background to which it happened made it express that war is bad, even though that was not, maybe he was painting a still life, right? And then you're going to say, like, that's not artwork because the guy didn't Artists want didn't it to be. It. You know, it's just like if if it still is communi- if it's still expressing something despite not being a mouthpiece for someone else, like. But the, that artwork is still expressing that war is bad, right? Yes. The artwork is still in the museum. But, but by its own merit, you know, by its sure. own form without the need of an artist saying, I want to do this. Fair. I would say an artist is good in that they have messages that they can communicate successfully through art and the messages are worth communicating. I would say that artwork is good based on its successfulness of communicating a message to me and the necessity of that message. But So maybe the artist isn't good, but that painting is great. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because what I'm try- I think what I'm trying to get at is that we talked about an artwork being a child of its own volition once it's created in the last episode is that by the laws of its own form taken on its own terms if it is if the artwork as a thing is still expressing something then we shouldn't bar it because it wasn't purposefully expressed it w- it wasn't meant to express this thing that's fine that's not a hill I'm willing to die on i'll agree with that yeah. i just think the artwork is only good or bad in its success of communicating that message to me in its unique sufficiently specific and sufficiently vague way that i can interpret a meaningful message out of it that's what I would say. That, that artwork is only good and that it has a message to communicate to me and is doing that successfully. So even if the artist didn't think to blow his own brains out on this canvas, that ha- happened. And now this artwork has that message for me and is doing so very successfully. Right. I would still point to it being good based on the message I'm getting out of it. That artwork is still a means to an end for a message. Yeah. And even thinking about it now... If the artwork is expressing something on its own terms, not because the artist wanted it to express this thing, you're, you're still receiving expression. And in the same way that smoke on the hillside can communicate fire to me, the whole point of aesthetics is that you are looking at, um, you, you are receiving pre-linguistic qualities that are building on top of each other in such a way that create like a, a piece of meaning. And like you are receiving something regardless of whether you want to or not. And that is communication. And communication yeah. is a message. So that's my question. Like, can We're playing video games. Can a walking simulator be as good as Papers, Please? Is well, that possible? Just by virtue of how it's... De- like, of the design of the game? In yeah. In the sense that it, one is a first-person... Um, not shooter, but like a first-person walking game, and the other is a UI menu game? I would say not even in the method, just in the idea of the artwork having a message to give. If somebody, I agree that people will want to play walking simulators sometimes and papers please sometimes. But as far as having a seminal piece of artwork, can we say that the walking simulator 
is as meaningful as something that puts ethical questions in front of you and says, you know, what, what are you going to do about this person, this refugee that wants to come into your country? I mean, I think, yes. Like, to me, Tetris is a masterful aesthetic object because it can be in it can be interacted with almost indefinitely. And the fact that, like, we talked about artworks having lifespans, that's a game whose lifespan, I think, continues. Yeah. And, like timelessness the idea of timelessness usually when when and this is for the audience too if you think something is timeless that's usually a clue that it is an artwork in some way but timelessness is a myth because like we said earlier if we find an artwork that is forever then we've found the end of art yeah we found the last thing we'll ever need now what i'm trying to get at is that tetris the ability to interact, I mean, same with chess, like the ability to interact with chess time and time and again in different but similar ways is a quality of its um, of its timelessness. And I don't think that chess or Tetris necessarily, ex- like, I don't know how to tell you what they express, but I do know that they fundamentally shifted society. Yeah. You know, and there's something ineffable there. That kind of begs the question then, like, is it even fair to compare the two? Let's think about a game that can be played for hundreds of years. So chess has been in its current form since like the mid 1700s. There's no painting I want to look at for hundreds of years. Right. There's no painting I want to look at for more than an hour. I will play chess for hours. That's why video games, for weeks. yeah, that's why video games are so good for understanding aesthetics. So is it fair to even compare them? Because it seems like fundamentally it's different in the, my engagement. Right, we're talking about point A to point B, the raw experience of something till I'm bored with it. Yeah, a well, painting I can't engage with, and therefore it's sort of like I, I get it. Okay, I'm moving on now. But a video game, I can do so much more with it. Is it by virtue of its form? So I'm, I'm curious. Is it even fair to compare the two? Is is the games and the idea of play fundamentally so different that it shouldn't even be compared to? The idea of viewing a painting until I, I have just, viewed all of the paintings. I just and then think I move it's on. richer. I think you can compare them. I think you can just say that paintings are way less aesthetic than games are. Yeah. Because with a game like mimesis, right? The process of mediating, turning um, unknown forms into known forms, you are constantly presented with new scenarios yeah. in chess over and over and over again. And the fact that you are constantly given an opportunity to mediate between what you're seeing on the board and to what your action is going to be is that treadmill that never stops. But am I already at B? Am I already at point B with chess? Like, do I get it now? Like, I had my first time where I'm learning how the pieces move to some point B of like, okay, I get it now. I, I understand chess entirely. I, am I already at B, even though I really, really enjoy playing it? Like, I do I get it now? I mean, then I think you have to... I don't think you are because I, I now I think we're in the realm of like levels of understanding of chess. Yeah. Like the grandmaster of the world right now. Magnus you, Carlson, yeah. You might say that he's at B, but what if someone comes around and, and says, oh, if you want to beat this, you just have to move in these ways. It's like and, artificial intelligence now. And, talking, and yeah. suddenly you've cracked it open way over yeah. again. And now everything's new. You've You've changed the meta, you know? Yeah. And and now it's an aesthetic object again. Like I feel like so many art historians are like shaking right now cuz I went to the Louvre, right? Yeah. Saw Mona Lisa for a couple minutes. I'm not thought, I'm not oh, entire, wow. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure that Mona Lisa is very aesthetic. And then I, I yeah, I walked away. I just bought Ticket to Ride, a board game and played with my family for hours. Yeah. And want to play it right now. It's yeah. a great game. 
So to argue like Ticket to Ride is more aesthetically pleasing than the Mona Lisa, that's a tough sell to a lot of people. But I, I mean, can, as far as this, what we, we're, we're sitting in front of the listeners right now yes. would say that Ticket to Ride and basically any board game ever that I have played is more aesthetically pleasing than the Mona Lisa. Any video game, a hundred times over that. Look, you can say, hey, the Mona Lisa was extremely historically significant. It was uh, pivotal for all of these reasons. And for this point in time, it was aesthetic because people didn't know what to do with themselves yeah. while they were trying to make sense of the Mona Lisa. That's all true. Now, the Mona Lisa's it is now an artifact. We are culturally at point B. It is an artifact. Yeah. It is now a spearhead in the earth. It is not something to look at and have an aesthetic experience with. I mean, the, an artifact, I think, is a, the great term for it. That And that's really the difference. Culturally, like, we're at point B with it. Yes. And you can look at it for historical value, but not for the aesthetic experience anymore. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Now, um, I think maybe the last thing I want to kind of touch on is... Adorno constantly is is talking about like that artworks in themselves like are irrational and that our linguistic mind, our ability to mediate like we're talking about, to objectify works, to move to point B is our is our reasoning. It's our discursive thought. Um, It is it's how we make sense of things and we we compartmentalize them in that and in that regard. Uh, But artworks inherently provide something to us that is irrational. And here's a, here's a quote in artworks. Nothing would be enigmatic if their imminent logicality did not accommodate discursive thought. And what he's saying there is all art, and this, and this is the question of like, Oh, does, does life um, inspire art or does art inspire life? And the answer is both because the conceptual material and the way that artworks are made will always be known and understood to us. When we break artworks into their parts and we're no longer looking at like the wholeness of them, right. we're going to be able to go backwards and understand them and and, and basically um, talk about artifacts. We're going to be able to dig out the um, cultural site, you know, the, archeolo- the archaeological site until there's nothing left there. So the fact that like we as humans exist means that we're going to be able to understand aesthetic objects in ways that only humans can. But Adorno is constantly putting forth this idea that by virtue of artworks being new, they're sort of like this injection of the irrational because they don't uh, fit our kind of preconceived anticipation of what the world is. And one of the quotes he gives is, the task of aesthetics is not to comprehend artworks as hermeneutical objects. And this is like a hermeneutical object is an object that is like, by design that was like created for a purpose. Um, It is instead their incomprehensibility that needs to be comprehended. And so the idea is that every time you're presented with a true artwork, it's not going to make sense. And that's the whole point. That is its newness. And that process of of objectification, the, the whole, like the, the task of aesthetics is to understand the journey of point A to point B and not to say that once we have point, once we have point B, we understand the path that the object took and why it was aesthetic. And now we're going to take that path and try to, to apply it to everything that comes afterwards and say that this is the way to be aesthetic. It's, it's art needs to be this constantly changing kind of subjective 
process, you know? So then like landscape art fundamentally can't be art because I'm already at point B because I'm looking at it and I see a sun setting over an ocean. Yeah, I, yeah, I got that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and there like may, I'm already at B or I'm at B two seconds after looking at this. Thing. Yeah. But there's also landscape paintings that are of science fiction planets now. Right. Sure. And so the genre of landscape still exists, but now like the content of the landscape might be where the genre continues to live. But yes, exactly. Like we've seen a million portraits. We've seen a million still lifes. We're done with that, you know, yeah. but it's, I, I want to hone in on that incom- incomprehensibility that he is putting forth that artworks are that they are raw, like you said, you know, and I guess maybe this is a repetition of what we mentioned earlier about messages, but that just the artwork itself is the messenger, you know? But the term incomprehensible can't be true, right? Because we get to point B. And the idea is art is over when we've comprehended it. So to say it's incomprehensible means like it'd be an exercise in frustration. You would be looking at abstract expressionalism forever trying to determine a meaning from it. Yeah. Just, it, incomprehensibility seems like the wrong term for it. Maybe difficulty or an inability to be immediately comprehended. Yeah. Because you have to comprehend it because there is a point B. That's the idea of art. You get to point B. You comprehend the piece. Yeah. This Which seems like is I'm getting hung up on the phrase of incomprehensibility because it fundamentally must be comprehensible. I just, I guess what I'm trying to drive home is, is even the idea of game logic, right? Like video games only make sense in the context of themselves. You okay. know, like the knowledge you get on how to kill a skeleton in God of War exists and only makes sense within the context of playing God of War. Yeah. Um, if God of War expresses meaning that can then be portable to all aspects of life, then you might say like it had a very meaningful full message. But the idea that like artworks don't need to make sense on arrival yeah. is sort of the hallmark of them being artworks in the sense that like it only makes sense within the context of viewing or playing it that that is where they begin to construct themselves. So then you can take meanings that are beyond the art. Yes. Right, so the, the artwork itself must only be understood through me staring at the artwork to get a message out of it, but that message might be beyond the medium. Yeah. And I would say it's really great art if that message is yeah. well beyond the medium. Same with video games. Right. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, like, I, I'm going to turn it to you. I mean, do you have any lingering questions at this point? Because I think this conversation was very sporadic. Um, I hope it is, it's probably going to be hard to follow, but I think it's actually really indicative of how hard it is to talk about artworks in the way that Adorno does. But I think there's a lot of value here in yeah. this conversation, yeah. you know, and that's why I wanted to bring it to people. Um, I mentioned before that the next part of my studies talks about artworks or talks about aesthetics in the sense of um, meaning making and humans. And it's more of like a psychology thing. And I don't necessarily want to get there next, but I think this conversation per- perfectly encapsulates how confusing it can be, but in kind of repetitively going through it, yeah. something starts to kind of arise. So, I mean, just, yeah, where, where are you at, at at the end of all of this? I love the idea of trying to compare other mediums of art such that we are passive observers into the active participant that video games brings us into. I think it is probably unfair to compare sculpture and painted art into video games such that their goals are fundamentally different. There are certain paintings with messages 
that I think we could compare to philosopher's thoughts. It's just different means of communicating a philosophical message. I think Guitar Hero was an artwork. There is no message to be gained in artwork. But the goal of Guitar Hero was not to give you a philosophical message. It was to put you into a state of flow. And it does that very well. So I think there are video games with different goals than a majority of other pieces of artwork. And I think that is something that I'm, I'm curious uh, how this conversation will hit me in a week, in a month, in my thoughts of video games as art. And the, the, this entire show I'm talking about, good art has a message that we can take away from the, the medium and then apply it to other instances. And there I, are great video games that don't do that. Right. But they are great video games. Yeah. And like I think where I constantly want to butt in every time you say that is just to caution people that the message that you do get is not to be retroactively applied to everything else and to say that only artworks can be things that communicate this specific message. Absolutely. And that message might, you might think that that message is some universal truth that everyone should know, but like you have to be extremely careful not to be rigid in your understanding of what an artwork can be, you know, and that the moment you, the moment you think that, Artworks are things that express something specific. Is when you're moving into ideology. You know, sure. like there are sure. empires on this earth, on this earth. I mean, the Hitler said that uh, Greek sculpture was the pinnacle of art, and under that conceptualization, everything else that came after is 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 what subpar. Yeah, yeah, you know, art. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like to give one particular genre or style or even message, the primacy and what can and cannot be artwork is sort of, I think, what Adorno has instilled in me as being false. And even, yeah, even to maybe fix my language, not that there's a message that good art will give you, but that there will be some sort of philosophical meaning, no matter what that meaning might or be. Or expression. Or, yeah, anything that you can get out of the artwork. To me, like you, get, you getting something out of the artwork makes it good art. But there's so many video games that you are, it's of course art. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it seems like it, the, the same criteria cannot apply to video games because the goal is fundamentally different. The goal is almost closer to like a book than it is to a painting, right? The goal is like the state of flow. I, I don't think that's the case because now you're starting to get, you're starting to kind of, when you say like you need flow to, to have a good game or, and if a good game and a, uh, an art, like a video game that is artwork needs to also be a good game. So by that, extension it needs to put you in a flow state i disagree because and and this is kind of a a a different subject but like something that's ugly in its grotesqueness can be beautiful in the fact that it's expressing something to you that you've never known before that's fair and adorno very much says art does not satisfy immediate desire in the sense that it's not food to be enjoyed and tasted it's not pleasure to be had from touch it is something that is going to fight against you, and it is in that fight that the artwork is made. So it's like Call of Duty multiplayer? Is that not art? I don't know. I don't know where multiplayer games fall into this. When it's like immediate immediate satisfaction. I put it up, I'm a multiplayer, I'm shooting people. I'm in that, I'm in that flow that I want. Surely it's art. Through all the design work, through the system of laws I'm now being an active participant in. Yeah. But there's no message to be got from that. But when right? I'm it's slamming my head, in, but in, when I'm slamming my head against a wall in Dark Souls, that doesn't make it not art, you know. Totally agree. 
probably makes it more meaningful than COD multiplayer. Yeah. And we can have that conversation about a better video game versus a worse video game. Mm-hmm. But again, it seems like the state of flow that you would get from Dark Souls makes it this really interesting video game or this sort of immersiveness of this world building that's around the active participant that you as a player are now in. Seems like that what's, it's what makes it a good video game, not necessarily that Guernica is anti-war, right? It's just fundamentally yeah. different. There are different goals for the, the viewer, for the player. And I'm, I'm curious, how, how can they be compared? Am I wrong? But, I mean, can take, they be perfectly take, compared? Take the other side of it. A game that you've played 50 times and you know everything about. Yeah. And it's not hard at all. Because flow is characterized by um, rising challenges that's being met by your ability rising to consistently meet sure. them, right? And like a game that you can speed run through is much like Guitar Hero, where you're just experiencing satisfaction from knowing what to do and doing it. You're not necessarily in a flow state. I just, I just think it's could potentially be a pitfall to put so much emphasis on flow. I think people would agree that flow is a better state than breezing through a game, right? There's a reason there's different difficulty levels and there's new experiences. I think, sure, some people enjoy blasting through a Guitar Hero track that they have memorized and they don't even look at the screen anymore. But a majority of people, in the same way a majority of people understand what an artwork is, would also agree that video games, that giving you a sense of flow, makes it a better video game. I think that's probably not that controversial, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, flow is definitely enjoyable, but I just, I it's don't... It's play. It's different than viewing but, artwork. But it, Brian Upton says that flow is not equivalent to play. Because you can still be playing an easy game and you're still playing it. Totally agree. But the play is better in a state of flow. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if I'm willing to make that really? step. Because... You'd rather play Guitar Hero on easy than like on expert? It's closer to a state of flow on expert, I would imagine. You're just getting closer to flow state. That's true. But I don't want to siphon off the, um, the edge cases of extremely difficult and extremely easy games having like a massive difficulty spike might be a part of the wholeness of a work that creates its expression at the end of it where I think like god that one point in time in the game was so fucking difficult and at the time I hated myself and I hated this game right but now in the context of having finished it I understand why that was important to what it has to express but there'd be a single point of the game that would be that, right? You wouldn't want to play a game where the entirety of it was way too difficult or the entirety of it was Dude, way too easy. you'd be surprised. There's people whose taste in games is literally nothing but pixel-perfect side-scrolling platformers. But you, you can count those people on a couple hands, right? I'm saying like the general population would say that the play of a video game is better the closer it gets to the state of flow for the individual player. This does not seem controversial to me. Sure. I guess, <laughs> yeah. I just haven't thought about it yet, so I'm, I feel like i am got my back against the wall. <laughs> But yeah, this has been a long roving. It's been good. Yeah. So I mean, is there anything else before we wrap up? Yeah. Just I'm I'm curious to see what any listeners who are listening to this think about the idea of can we compare paintings, sculpture, maybe music, maybe dance mm -hmm. to video games, or is video games just such a unique and new medium of art to express various things? Yeah. That maybe we're just sort of ahead of our time is not the right phrase, but be before where we need to be, right? We, need, we are before the proper vocabulary and the medium think, to make that conclusion is from. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's exactly where we are. And I think that's what academics is trying to do right now yeah. in the video game discussion. Uh, people often on Twitter talk about the quote-unquote discourse around video games. What we are building 
in this conversation is actually the quote unquote dialectic. And a dialectic is a system of talking about something specifically, you know, and that is where, that is what is being forged in this moment because this has never been seen before, you know? Um, Yeah. Anyway, I feel like we should end it there because now we're at a point, I think where we're really thinking out loud and and hopefully the listener's head is spinning and they're thinking (laughs) in to themselves as well. Um, I do think the next part of this conversation is in the deeper uh, field of aesthetics, which uh, brings us to actually um, like American pragmatist philosophers like John Dewey. And they have some extremely um, important things to contribute to this conversation. And when you talk about video games being fundamentally different artifacts or forms, that is because the meaning that we get from them is performative, like I mentioned earlier, and what it means to have performative meaning is very much tied into what these new aesthetic thinkers that I'm reading are talking about and how like meaning is more than just the words that we use. It is embodied. It is our gestures. It is sure. it is the clothes that we're wearing. It is everything. And that gets into the physical side of video games. And if you've followed me for three years at this point, and you're an OG <laughs> Chase listener, you know that when I first read a guy named Graham Kirkpatrick, who talked about how important the physical aspect of games are, this is when we're going to crack into that. And I don't know when we're, I don't know when we're going to record those episodes, but I hope we do Max, because this has been super fun. Uh, one of my favorite projects to do. Um, I've just really struggled getting all this into writing because I don't know where to start. And so I honestly think talking about it is sort of the best mode for it. So to actually get my thoughts out there, yeah. um, cause I didn't write as much as I did this year as I have in previous years because I've been doing this. And so this is how I want to contribute to the conversation. And so I like, you know, I thank you for being, um, the person who, brings that out of me and, and you know challenges me on all on all that so had an excellent time man excited for season three great all right well that's been the greatest game i guess season two <laughs> um i've been your host chase williams and of course you can find this on okbeast.com for all of your video game and culture needs and uh yeah if you want to follow me i'm at bodacious chase send me your questions you know like let's Hopefully I can find a forum where this has affected people and we can respond. You know, we we don't really have listener questions because of how long these um, periods are between recording. But I would love to take feedback and see what other people have to say. So absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate your attention. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a good one. Keep learning. Let's form that dialectic.